0: Good morning. It's good to see you. If you will please take your Bible and look to the book of Nehemiah. And while you're doing that, I'd like to uh, introduce my wife to you. This is Ann Betts. Um, that is with a with an uh, Ann with an A. Um, for some reason, Apple doesn't recognize my uh, my Northern Ohio accent, so um, I say call. Ann, and they said there's no Ian in your uh, in your list, and I've done it for years, and so she's Mom on my phone because that's what I call her to the to our sons. Um, but this is Ann. We've been married uh, just uh, what a week ago, a week or two ago, we celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary, and so and we just had. I think I mentioned to you she was gone one of the weeks to go see our grandson who. Um, was born and his name is Justice and we call him JT but um, I'm so glad she's with me Um, I'm kind of lost when she's not around and and uh, it's a joy for her to to be here um, at least for me if it's not for you I'm sure it is for you but it really is for me I told you we would be studying uh, or starting a study in the book of Nehemiah and uh, I'm reminded (coughs) of uh, This book, I've spent a lot of time in it. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. But uh, when I was a little boy in Sunday school classes, they would tell us uh, um, about Zacchaeus, and we would sing a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Was he? Any of you sing that song before? Okay, okay, there you go. And so uh, I always thought that Zacchaeus was the shortest man in the Bible, and then I found out later that it could have been Nehemiah or Nehemiah, um, so that's, that's a possibility. But the truth is, it's Bildad the shoe height, and so he is the shortest man in the Bible. There you go. That was completely free. Um, I tell that to my students that pay tuition. I say, you even paid tuition to hear that. Can you believe that? When I was a kid, I told you I grew up in church. I love listening to preaching. I heard a lot of it. I, it's good that I did, because I was going to uh, uh, services with my dad all the time. He was uh, preaching a lot, not just in our church, but in others as well. And um, I love to hear preacher stories. This, I call them preacher stories, these stories. And you don't hear them as much these days, probably a good thing, um, but I, I remember some of them. And, and as I think of Nehemiah, and especially this first chapter of Nehemiah, I think of a story I heard when I was a kid uh, about a man who was on his roof because there was a flood that was coming. And it had started raining, and it was raining very hard, and uh, a man came by in, his, in, in a rowboat and uh, said, hey, um, hop in and I'll take you to safety. And the man said, no, 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 I have prayed to God that God will save me, and I'm trusting him to save me, so I'm not going with you. And the rowboat went off. Not long after that, a man in a motorboat came by, and uh, the water was still rising, and he said, hey, hop in the boat with me, and I'll take you to safety. And the man again on the roof said, no, I have prayed to the Lord to save me, and I'm trusting him to do that, and so I'm not going with you. Finally, the water was getting very close to the roof, and a helicopter came over and saw the man on his roof and came down um, low enough and threw out a ladder. And they called out to him and said, grab onto the ladder and we'll take you to safety. And the man said, no. I prayed to God that he would save me, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust him to do that. Well, the waters kept going up and up, and the man drowned. And he got to heaven, and he asked God, you know, I prayed to you. I trusted you, and uh, you didn't save me. I drowned. The Lord said to him, "I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter, and you still didn't take any of those. So what more do you expect?" And I often think about Nehemiah when I think of that about that story, because Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer, but he was a man of action. And I think sometimes in the church today, we talk a whole lot about prayer. And yet we don't understand that the prayer that God honors is the prayer that comes from one who acts in faith based upon what they've been praying. It's the one who takes action based on their trust in God. And yes, we need to trust God in prayer, but we need to be ready to be active, to take action and do what God has called us to do as we pray. And that's what I think of when I think of Nehemiah. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16:9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Nehemiah was that kind of man. His heart was completely given to God in every way. And as I think about this passage I'm always reminded of this and reminded of the fact that God has called us to be people like Nehemiah was, that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be a people of action, that our hearts would truly belong to God and that we would have his heart. As we look at this passage this morning, there are basically two parts to it. The first one really gives us the situation that is going on. And then the second part of it is Nehemiah's prayer. So we look at what I would say is the predicament and then the prayer. And so let us begin reading, beginning with verse 1 here in um, Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of, <clears throat> son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Han and I, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire." When we look at this, we see just this book begins with just basic information that is very important to us as we read through the rest of the message of Nehemiah. It, it gives us the historical record of what is going on. Notice it says here, Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts. And it is the idea here as we think about this book that the Lord does care about his people, especially when they're going through difficult times. And we see the people of God going through a tremendously difficult time. And God cares for his people when they struggle, when they suffer. And I think sometimes that we forget that. We think that if we are suffering, then God doesn't care about us. But in truth, God cares about us in times that are are going well for us, but also when times are difficult for us. And also his father's name, the only time he's mentioned in the Bible, and this word is mentioned in the Bible, Hekeliah means hope in Yahweh or wait on Yahweh. And so we see both aspects of this. I just think it's interesting these names actually speak to some of the aspects of the message in this book of Nehemiah. But as we look at this, it says it took place in the month of Kislev, and Kislev, uh, the, the Jewish calendar is very different from our calendar in this way that uh, the month of Kislev actually makes up days at, that are at the end of November and at the beginning of December. And so it was in the winter time, but uh, uh, not exactly uh, one-on-one correspondence with what we think about calendar dates and the months today but if you'll notice here as well it took place he says here in the 20th year and we already pick up here that he says he's in Susa Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king and so he's in Persia he's in Susa which was one of their royal cities their capital and he is serving as a the cupbearer, which was a very important position, and we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But the 20 years could refer to the 20th year of the king. More likely, it refers to 20 years of service that Nehemiah served the king. And So this just gives us basic information, but important information, so that we understand what goes on moving forward. And we get to verse 3, and we see the, the real content of the report that's given by Nehemiah's brother and his friends. And there are two words that are used to describe the people of God and Jerusalem. Notice the first word. It is that they are in distress. Now, this word in Hebrew carries with it An idea that is very strong, and it it really depicts danger, disaster, calamity, despair, misery. This is what they were in. It's a condition that means that their lives were in danger. That's the idea here. And so this is probably one of the strongest words in their language to convey the worst situation that they could possibly be in. And then the next word that's used here in Hebrew, that we see that it translated reproach. It is the idea of reproach, of shame, of disgrace, of scorn, of insult, and even threat to them, which ties, of course, to the word distress as well. Now, what's important for us, I think, to think about the word reproach is to understand that reproach has something to do with reputation or how people view you. And so this isn't just about them, but it's about others. And who are these others that hold them in reproach? Well, it is the surrounding nations, these outsiders who are looking on to the people of God, and holding them in scorn, holding them in reproach, seeing them as being shameful and and something to be put down and looked down upon. This is how they were looking at the people of God. And they very much were in distress. And their ideas about them came from what they saw about the people of God. And so as we think about this, it reminds me that the scriptures teach that the reputation of the people of God is very closely tied to the reputation of God himself. In fact, that God takes actions based upon his reputation, but he takes these actions toward his people based upon his reputation. It's interesting, for instance, in... The scriptures, it, it talks about in, in Psalm 106, verse 8, that at the Red Sea, God saved them at the Red Sea. Why? For his own name's sake, for his power to be known. It's interesting when we look at God and his dealings with the people in Egypt in Ezekiel 20, verses 13 and 14, speaking of Israel in Egypt when they were slaves to the Egyptians, this is what the Lord says about them through his prophet Ezekiel. The house of Israel rebelled against me, so I considered pouring out my wrath on them to put an end to them, but I acted for the sake of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations. And then in Ezekiel 36, verse 23 Speaking to his people again, the Lord said, I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you, speaking to Israel, his people, you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am Yahweh, the declaration of the Lord God, when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. And so we see here, That what he's saying is, I considered just destroying them when they were in Egypt. But I didn't do it, but not because of them, but I did it for my name's sake. I did it for my reputation so that people would know my power, my ability to save my people, even in spite of my people. Even in spite of the sinfulness and their profaning of my name before the nations, I will save them. But understand it. It's not because of anything they have done to merit it. It is because of my grace and mercy that I have done this. And so his reputation is very much tied to his people. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10. The prophet said, by redeeming his people, the Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. So God's reputation. This is a major theme in the book of Nehemiah. That Nehemiah was a man that was not only concerned about his people, but he was also concerned about The reputation of God. And when we look at the prayer in just a moment, we must read this prayer in light of this attitude that Nehemiah had, that he had a concern for his people, but he had just as much, maybe even a greater concern for God's reputation among the nations. I think about this with us today, and I wonder how many of us really have this kind of concern for God's reputation. How many of us, when we act and when we do what we do, that it's really about God's reputation? I think I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. You'll find out I know about three verses from the New Testament, and that's about it. One of them is, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we do is not about us but it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about his reputation. It is about making him known. It is all about him, not about us. But the question must be raised by us. Do we really live our lives with that mindset that what we do and who we are is really a reflection of who God is? And that if we are his witnesses, then what is our witness bringing to this world in regard to our Savior? When the world looks at the people of God today, do we live in such a way that profanes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or do we live in a way that brings honor to him? Are we a reproach in this world because of our sinfulness and because we do not Give live in such a way as the people of God are called to live, or do we live in such a way that brings honor to Him? Not that the world will approve of who we are, but that it at least gives honor to who He is. Because the world who rejects us, if we are living in honor of Christ, well, it's because they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a question of being living in such a way as to please the world it is a question of are we living in such a way that honors christ to this world and this is what he was concerned about he hears this report he hears that the people of god are in distress he hears that the people of god are in reproach this is who they were this is what they had become in the eyes of the nations. And why? It is because they brought it on themselves by their own sinfulness, their sinfulness against God, their sinfulness against one another, and this will bear out in the message of this book. And so what is his concern here? It's very difficult. And it gets worse because they say this, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. You can look in 2 Kings chapter 25 and you can see the description of this happening. God confronted his people several times through several prophets and also through his written law in Deuteronomy. And he warned them of their unfaithfulness. He warned them of what would happen if they turn to other gods. He warned them what would happen when they began to take advantage of one another and mistreat one another in their community. He said, I will send you into exile and it will be a terrible thing that happens when that happens. And his prophets came along and said, God is going to destroy the temple. Prophets like Micah, prophets like Jeremiah, Jeremiah, prophesied and said God is going to destroy the temple and they said no God will not allow his holy city to be destroyed he will not allow the temple to be destroyed and the prophet's message was if you act like the nations then I will treat you like the nations because you are no better than anyone else when it comes to righteousness and I will hold you to that standard And so this was his message to them. And so now, Nehemiah, the destruction of the temple in 587, the date of Nehemiah, 445-444 B.C. So we're talking about nearly 140 years, 150 years later. And what we see is Jerusalem is no better than what it was when it was destroyed by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's wiped out by this news as well. And it's interesting, again, the prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 28, verses 25 and 26, Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples from among among whom they are scattered, and will uh, manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations... Then they will live in the land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely, and they will build houses, plant vineyards, and live securely when I execute judgments upon all who scorn them around about them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. So people from the house of Israel had been scattered. House of Jacob. They had been scattered among the nations. They had been taken into exile back again some 150 years Prior, they were in exile for 70 years. And then we have groups of them return, three groups in particular, and Nehemiah's was the third group. And they return and they're excited. We're back. And the prophet Ezekiel promised that when we come back, that God will bless us, that we will live in the land securely that this will be a wonderful time when we are finally back in our land. And the only problem with that is now 150 years later, nothing has changed. God, through his prophet, said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you secure in the land. And here they are in distress and a reproach before the nations. And Nehemiah, this man of God, hears this news about the people of God and he is overwhelmed by it he is taken back by this message because god said he would judge us but god also said he would restore us and that he would bless us and he's brought us back but it's not any better than it was for the last 150 years What are we to do? And this brings us to Nehemiah's prayer. Let's read in verse 4 and following. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves covenant and loving kindness for those who love him. And keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive to, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly, and you have not kept the commandments for the statute, or, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed, by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was a cupbearer before the king. We look at this prayer. We learned something here about Nehemiah that we see throughout this book. And I said this earlier, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. This is the longest prayer of his in this book and probably the most formal of his prayers. What's amazing about Nehemiah is he seems to have this ongoing life of prayer. Sometimes it'll just be a few words. He'll be in a situation and he says, the king asked me this question And I prayed to my God, and then he answered the king. Right there in the midst of a conversation with someone else, he prays between him and the Lord. I don't believe it was audible, but I believe in his his inner voice praying to God. He's praying to God as he's speaking to this king. And we see this throughout this book. And Nehemiah really understood what we learn in the New Testament when the scriptures teach us to pray without ceasing. He had an ongoing dependence upon God. That's what humility is, by the way. Humility is dependence upon God. And you can tell if a person is humble or proud. And by the way, the scriptures tell us that God is opposed to the proud, but he upholds the humble. You want to know if you're a humble person? Very easy, I think, to to figure out. Just look at how much you pray. And the person who has an ongoing prayer life throughout the day, just an ongoing conversation with God, that person recognizes their need to depend on God. And that person is the person who is truly humble. Humility is not saying, I can't do anything. It is what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is looking to Christ. It is looking to our Lord and depending on him. And so he was a man of prayer. And it's interesting as we look at this prayer, it really does follow again. Uh, my, I go back to my Sunday school teaching as a kid. I was thinking about it as, as you were talking about having vacation Bible school this week, uh, I, I don't know of any group of people that have had any more um, just real uh, impact on my life than my Sunday school teachers and my teachers in vacation Bible schools, all my teachers when I was a child. And I know I drove them crazy. Um, I'm still, like I, I, in my defense, I haven't changed much. I don't know if that's good or bad. But they would say I wasn't listening to them. In fact, one of them went to my parents and said, it looks like he's not listening at all. But what, do, what they would do is ask me questions, and they said, he can an- answer everything I said. And just because I don't look at you doesn't mean I'm not listening to you. Maybe I just don't want to look at you, okay? <laughs> and so I'm always that way. I'm always looking elsewhere, and I don't know if that's a, a little um, whatever, a, whatever it is, um, whatever the letters are. Um, I, I might be that. I'm probably that way. But... Um, they had a tremendous effect on me. And one of the things they taught me is about prayer, and they taught us this little acrostic acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And it's interesting, if you look at this prayer, that's really what Nehemiah does. He begins this prayer addressing God and acknowledging who God is, adoration. He, he, he speaks to who God is and expresses his adoration for God. And then the next part, he confesses. He confesses the sins of Israel and um, he, he lays out that I'm a sinner, my father is uh, my, my a sinner, we, we are sinners, we have sinned against you, and he confesses his sin before the people. And then... He acknowledges what God has done for his people. In spite of their sin, he has brought them out. He's been faithful to them. He has been good to them. And he acknowledges this. And, and his acknowledgment of this is his expressing his thanksgiving for what God has done for his people. And the last two things he does, he has two things that he asks the Lord about in supplication. That he asks for these things. One is restore the people. Restore this people of yours. And two, use me in whatever way you will to bring this about. It's a real simple prayer, actually, if you just want to look at the structure of it. Simple in structure, but very deep in its understanding of the will of God for his people and the will of God for this man of God, Nehemiah. And so this is what he follows. Let's look at uh, verse 4. Let's look at his response, though, when he hears this as he begins his prayer. He says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's response was an emotional response. He sat down, he wept, he mourned over what he heard concerning the people of God. This is where he was. This is what he was going through. And it indicates that God, or that Nehemiah was a godly man who deeply cared for the people of God, who deeply cared for the people of God. He cared about God and he cared about, or he cared about the people of God and he cared about the reputation of God. And this is where his heart was. I think about his response here and his grief over these people. And I wonder today, and I know I'm getting older, I'm, I'm forgetting way too many things these days. It's, it's a terrible thing you know, to start to go through. Um, but as I think about my childhood in church, there are plenty of times I saw people weeping in church. There are prayer meetings where I'd see people weeping and weeping about the concerns for the people of God, weeping about sin as they confess sin, weeping about the things going on in this world, but especially weeping about lost people and the need for people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know last time I've seen something like that. And I don't know that we need to be all emotional about everything. I, I, I'm not speaking to and trying to encourage us that we need to give ourselves into emotionalism because I saw that as well as a kid. And I can honestly say I haven't seen much of that among Southern Baptists in many years as well. But here's the issue. I think sometimes that what we do as human beings, we react so much to something that's wrong and going the other direction because we don't want anything to do with something that's wrong. And I've seen the fake emotionalism and all the garbage that comes with that. I remember my granddaddy, he said, it's not how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. And I was taught that kind of way in the Christian life. So this emotionalism, I'm not talking about that. But it is odd to me that we have, in our circles, turned so far away from the emotionalism that it's very difficult to see any emotion at all among us anymore, which is very much a part of who we are, and yet we suppress it, suppress it enough to where I wonder if we even feel anything anymore about these things. When is the last time you wept? over the condition of the people of God? When's the last time you wept over your own sin? When's the last time that you mourned and grieved over what should be that would honor God in light of what happens that often brings dishonor to God among the people of God? Nehemiah was a man who was a godly man who was zealous for the reputation of God and zealous for the restoration of the people of God to the glory of God. And it meant something here. Of course it meant something here. But it meant something here. Here. It was all of him, and this is who he was, this is where he was. And it is something that I pray often, God, give me a heart that is sensitive to your will and sensitive to what you're sensitive to. Give me a heart that grieves over the things you grieve about. And do you have to cry? I'm not calling for that. I think about my father. Today, by the way, 14 years ago today, I lost my dad. It's not been a great week for me. I miss him a lot. But he, he's, I read a prayer that I found of his. Um, actually, my brother found it and, and gave me a copy of it. And we have a, I put it in a plaque and it's in my study and I was reading it this week, and I come to realize um, I'm not so different from my dad as I read that prayer. And that I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, he was a very godly man, and I'm not saying I'm godly, but I desire the things that he lived. But I, my dad, I don't, ever, I don't remember ever seeing him cry, ever once. But there's no man who loved the church any more than my father did. No man that loved the people of God. <clears throat> and if you read that prayer, maybe someday if I'm here and the time is right, I could read It's a short prayer. <clears throat> but one of the things he says in that prayer, they're all just very short statements. He says, make me a soul winner. Make me a soul winner. I want to win souls for Christ. And he had that heart, that burden for the people of God and that heart to see souls saved. And it was here, but it was here. And I never saw any tears come down his face. But there was no question about where he was with that. We don't have to respond in the outward way necessarily that Nehemiah did. We need to respond as our personality gives us to be. We're not all the same. We all know that. But Nehemiah, he wept and he mourned and he grieved over what he heard about the people of God because of his love for the people of God. I will tell you this <clears throat> Jesus, in some of his last words, I believe it's in John 17, when he's speaking to his disciples, He says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. John 14, John 17, he hits upon that twice. You will know, or they will know, that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And if this church is to be the light that God has called it to be, it will be that light When the people of God in this church, when believers love one another with the kind of love that Nehemiah had for the people of God, that are zealous for the community of faith and care about God's reputation as it's tied to the people of God more than anything else. And that's where he was his response was serious, he fasted. If you're fasting and it's not for spiritual purposes, you're dieting. But a fast is voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And it indicates a desire that our prayers be heard and it indicates our deep desire that they might be met. Nehemiah's desire was for the glory of God and his reputation. Notice his response as well, the persistence of it. He says here that he did this for days, day and night. This was not just a whim, but this was something that Laid heavy on his heart day and night. And again, as this church is seeking God's direction for a pastor, how much does that really matter to you? I hope it's something that you pray every day about. And that you pray that God would lead the the right person here to lead you. Because you know as well as I know. The wrong leader. Well, if people are following the leader, then it goes the wrong way. And you need to pray. If it really matters. For not just your sake but for the glory of God and his sake and the sake of his people. And that's where Nehemiah was. He was persistent in this. And notice, his prayer was confessional. The idea of confession, it carries several ideas in the Bible. <clears throat> One aspect of confession is acknowledgement. It's acknowledging something. It's stating something. And that's what he does here. And he confesses First of all, about God, as he prays, look at verse 5. He says here, <clears throat> I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven. You see in your English translation, the word Lord <clears throat> is in all capitals. This is the name Yahweh. This is his, God's personal covenant name to Israel. And Nehemiah is praying to his people's personal God. This is not some God that is removed from them. This is their God. This is the God who made his name known to them. And he is praying to him. We are in covenant relationship with you. We're not just anybody. We are your people. And I am your son. And I am praying to you, the God of heaven. The God who is over all things. And notice here. He says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Literally in Hebrew, it is the great and fearsome God. And he recognizes this God is not someone to be taken lightly. That his God is an awesome, fearsome God. He is the God who brought down their nation. He is the God that called in Nebuchadnezzar and his armies to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and to carry them off into 70 years of exile. He is not someone to be taken for granted. And yet, at the same time, he is their God. He is the God who is their covenant God, who is faithful. He is the God that they can turn to and know that when they turn from their sin and turn to him, he is quick to show compassion and to forgive his people. This is the God to whom he prays. And he acknowledges this about his God. Also, he's confessional about the the people themselves. Look in verses 6 and 7 here. He says here, Let your ear now be attentive to your eyes, open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we've sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. We have sinned. That is confession. It's not one of these things, God, if there's anything that I've done that I shouldn't have done, please forgive me. No, it is, God, I have done something I should not have done. Please forgive me. I am a sinner. It's not if I'm a sinner. If perhaps I have a tendency to sin. No, I have sinned. Please forgive me. That is confession. It is acknowledging that we are sinners, and it is acknowledging the reprehensible nature of our sin, both to God and should be to us as well, because we are children of God. This is who he is. Nehemiah understands who he's praying to and he understands the need of his people and we need to confess our sins. We know this. We've been taught this as children. If we confess our sins, he, speaking of the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we need to confess sin and not just act as if it's nothing. We don't need to dwell on it. We don't need to hold on to it. We need to confess it and say, God, forgive me, and then walk in the newness of that relationship, that restored relationship with Christ. You say, well, my sins are already forgiven. Yes, on the divine level, in God's divine court, they are. But relationally, no. You understand this. In a relationship Just because we're good ends here, we're off we're always good, but it's not always good. If you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes I know it's hard to believe, sometimes I say something I shouldn't say. I don't know how that happens. Sometimes I do things I shouldn't do. And then it's not so good. And I need to, in that relationship, ask forgiveness. Oh, we're good but it's not good in that relationship. And what we do sometimes with God, we say, well, my sins are forgiven. It's already done. No, 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 no. When we have a cavalier attitude toward our sin, how should God look at us and say, how can you be my people if it doesn't matter to you that you have been so offensive to me? And so the person who loves the Lord will want to confess their sins because they're broken about their sin because they have wronged the one who gave himself for them. And that is what he is doing here. He understands this and he confesses. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who conceals his trans- transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And so we see this, and then we see Nehemiah's prayer was based upon God's promises. Look at verse eight, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses. And what he does is he quotes scripture to God, not as a smart aleck, but as someone who trusts in God's word. And he said, God, you told us that if we sin against you and do these things that you would send us in the exile. And he quotes this from the law, when God said this and certainly that's what happened. But then Nehemiah says, but you also said this, that you would take us and bring us from the lands that we've been scattered and you would bring us back home and you would restore us and you would bless us and God we have sinned and we have deserved the judgment that you have brought against us, but we are your people and I trust in you and now I'm looking to you to complete the promise that you have made to us by your word, because you are our God and we are your people. That is a message of trust as he goes to God's word and prays God's word. And he prays, found, his prayer is founded upon the promises of God. And also, his prayer is based on the identity of the people of God. Eight times in this prayer, he uses the word servant or servants. Servants. They are servants. That's what the people of God are. We are servants of God. And that is something that I think sometimes we just have forgotten as well. We think that God is here to serve us. When God has called us to serve him. And you know what makes a church great? It's not how many people there are in that church. It's not the preaching in the church. It's not the teaching in the church. It's not the music in the church. Not the size of the church. What makes a church great is what percentage of people in that church are actively serving the Lord Jesus Christ and His body and in that com- and, and, and in His community in that people of God. How many are serving? That's greatness. That's not just an Old Testament thing. That's a Bible thing. Jesus teaches his disciples, you want to be great in the kingdom, then you will be a servant. And that is what we've been called to. And he uses this word that your people whom you redeemed We have been redeemed. We have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. And so whatever he wills to do, then that is what we do. Because we have been bought by a price, the most precious price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are servants who have been redeemed. This is what we are to be. And then, finally, Nehemiah's prayer was shared by others. In verse 11, he makes mention of not only his being the servant of the Lord, but other servants who are praying this as well alongside him. Other servants who also desire to revere in the name of the Lord. Again, about his reputation. It's about him. And that's his prayer It is a prayer that's shared by others. And it is a prayer of submission, saying at the very end, He says, Lord, help me. Help me. I'm going to talk to this king now. And I pray that you'll use me, however you will, to be an answer to this prayer that I'm praying right now. I told you about the man with the flood. He was great at praying, but terrible at action. Nehemiah ends his prayer with this. Dear God, this is my prayer that you do this, and I pray that you would give me success in seeing your will done. I'm stepping up to the plate. I will be the one, along with these others who are your servants, we will serve you, give us success to honor you, and to do your work. That is what we've been called to. That's the sound of a servant of God. I'm ready, Lord. Like Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Nehemiah, give me success right now. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. This is the call upon us today. This is the true identity of of a man or woman or child of God who really understands that they belong to him and that he is our God and we are his servants. This is the attitude of Christ. You remember when he was getting ready to go be, he was getting ready to be uh, arrested and then ready to go to the cross and all that transpired up to that point point. and he said lord if you could take this cup away from me please do but then he said not my will but your will be done why because the lord jesus christ is that servant of the lord that isaiah spoke of he realized that he was his father's servant And he was going to do what his father had called him to do willingly because of his love for the father and his love for the people of God. What about us today? I want to end with just a few questions and we'll be done. When was the last time you were deeply burdened and moved to prayer and fasting concerning the condition of the people of God today, the church? Another question, how committed are you to intercessory prayer on behalf of other believers? What in your life gives evidence of your being zealous for God's reputation? And finally, do you see your identity as being a servant of God? Do others who know you, who know you well, Believe you live to be a servant of God. I guarantee you, the people who knew Nehemiah, they knew this was true about him. I pray that it's true about each of us this morning as well. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that we are your redeemed people. And Father, like Nehemiah and the people in his day, we are sinners. We fell. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us and that you would give us the spirit that Nehemiah had in him that we would have a love for your church as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and that we would be zealous in our service to you as your servants serving among your people serving to the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ that he would be lifted up and that we would be the light that you called us to be that many would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through our witness. And it is in Jesus' name we pray.